Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into a company that's currently raising funds on Crowdcube. Indeed, it is the third time they have been on Crowdcube and have always been met by strong investor demand. Uh, The company specializes in renewable energies and and a very specialized form of storage. And we're going to be discussing that in some detail. And to do that, we're very kindly joined by the CEO and co-founder of Re-Energize, Stephen Crocher. Stephen, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. So we're going to be discussing a little bit later on in the podcast, Stephen, the Crowdcube round and why you're currently raising funds at this point in time. But to get us started, please would you be able to give us an introduction, first of all, to yourself, as well as the problem that Re-Energize is setting out to solve. Yeah, great. So, so I'm Stephen Crocher. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Re-Energize. Um, the problem we're setting out to solve is really how do you get to a position where we've decarbonized our power grids? Um, how do you create firm and stable su- power supply from renewables? So renewables, as we all know, they're intermittent. The sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. And so you're you have this intermittency or variability of supply, but you also have a variability of demand. People sleep, people you know, generally cook and eat at the same sort of time. So um, power and supply and demand are no longer in sync in any form. And so you've got to find a way of managing that um, imbalance in the system. And one of the ways to do that or the principal way to do that going forward as you get increased amounts of renewables is long duration energy storage. So you're absorbing the excess power from renewables when there's more power being generated than is needed by consumers. It's maybe overnight if it's wind or it may be really sunny days if it's uh, sunshine. So you're absorbing that power. And then when that power from renewables is not available, or is less than demand, you then return it back from the energy store back to the consumers or back to industry. Um, so that's that's what we're aiming to do. So it's a solution that, that sits between renewable energy generation and the consumer, in effect, and, and balances everything in real time. Um, that's what we're aiming to do. My background, um, my most recent background since 2007, I've been involved in various sorts of uh, renewable energy and renewable energy innovation. So uh, the time has gone past very quickly, but um, uh, 16, 17 years goes past very quickly. Before that, I was involved in architecture and integration of renewable energy systems into architectural projects. Um, So that's my very brief background. Um, and I co-founded it. We have uh, two other co-founders, uh, Graham Cook, who's our CFO, serial, uh, long-term in finance, uh, but also uh, the last uh, 12 or so years in renewable energy and early stage businesses. And then our CTO, Tamas Patani, who's based in Montreal. So we have our engineering team in Montreal. Um, and his background, he's a PhD from Cambridge, um, aeronautical engineering, uh, but 20 years in clean tech innovation. 
Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen. So we're going to be discussing, as I said, that the solution in, in more detail and how the, the technology works. But to start with, I think it would be good for investors, potential investors listening to this podcast, if you could very briefly give us a rundown of why you think they should consider re-energize when compared to other competitors out there, as well as a bit about the current industry and the current requirements for companies that are operating in, in long storage at the moment. Yeah, so 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 the the, the competitor landscape is is obviously somewhat nuanced. Um, so there and there are different sorts of energy storage, and I think it's important to understand that there's um, more than going to be more than one solution needed on the on the power grids of the future. So um, first of all, we have um, solutions which are going to provide short duration storage. Often this is a flexibility. So this is short duration storage. It's acting, you know, uh, second to second, minute to minute, um, balancing the the power grid in re real time. The solution for that currently is lithium ion batteries and probably will remain so. So that's the sort of shorter duration energy storage solution. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you need something that does interseasonal storage. So that might become green hydrogen or, you know, there's some emerging battery technologies which are much longer um, duration storage. Um, but both of those are in a different part of the market to us. So there will be solutions for short duration storage, which will have some overlap with us but you know the use case is different, and then the interseasonal storage. Again, there may be some overlap with us, but 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 where we sit is in the middle. This is the medium duration energy storage piece. So this is probably four to sixteen hours of duration, maybe up to twenty hours of duration. And what we're doing is in the the, the high volume part of the market. So it's the day in day out trading of energy where you're absorbing the excess from wind and solar um, and then returning to the, the consumers on a daily basis. Or you're, uh, if you're on a grid dominated by wind, you're absorbing the twice weekly cycles of wind. So sun is obviously a daily cycle. Wind is roughly a twi twice weekly cycle. So it's a solution that is doing the heavy lifting in terms of day in, day out trading. The shorter durations are doing sort of frequency flexibility type services in short durations. The interseasonal type storage are um, providing a different type of service. And then looking at the competitive landscape in the middle bit of us, the, the, the challenge, actually, all of the different types of um, energy storage solutions really face is as the growth of renewables happens and increasingly companies have a high percentage of renewables on their grid, the grid starts to become less stable, um, the volatility on prices becomes more, and that's where we step in. So as the penetration of renewables get to around 40%, maybe a little bit higher, you need some sort of energy storage to help balance the, the the intermittent supply with the variable demand, and there are going to be a number of solutions that that come forward to solve that. And so, so we're not a solution that can go everywhere, um, and there'll be other solutions which have different use cases and different positions. But really, the challenge all of us face is how do you scale at the speed 
that the energy transmission transition is going to demand that that that, that there are predictions of by 2030 you'll need 10 times the storage that there is today and by 2040 you know it's an exponential growth that by 2040 the market is meant to be worth you know 4 trillion dollars and a and a trillion is a absolutely huge number um i quite like to sort of compare um million um, billion trillion so so they all sound the same but they're very very different numbers um so when you're talking if you convert a dollar to a second a trillion seconds is something like 31,000 years you know it's an absolutely vast number and so when you're talking about a 4 trillion dollar market if you compare that to seconds you know, it's whatever ever it is it's a, a you know half the time that man has walked the earth you know it's just a vast amount of time and so a trillion is such a big number and so the, the challenge for all of us is really about scaling and so even though we will compete and overlap but actually you know the market is going to be big enough for two three four five key players and we firmly believe we're one of those companies that have got a really viable technology that can scale at the speed that the energy transmission demands. Thank you, thank you very much, Stephen. And preparing for this podcast, the, the, the four trillion number that you mentioned there, that was put forward by the Long Duration Energy Storage uh, Council. Huge, huge numbers there. Um, but of course, as you as you outlined, there's going to be a huge requirement for long duration storage going forward. So what I would like to do now, actually, Stephen, is just pick up on, on some of those challenges that you that you mentioned there and then talk about where Reenergize fits in. And I think this would be a good opportunity to really explain how that the system works, you know, in, in terms of the, the inner workings and, and the mechanics, and maybe a little bit about, Stephen, whereabouts in, in the country, the UK or, or globally, you see this solution being implemented. You're obviously talking about the scale-up phase now for, for re-energize. It would be good to uh, maybe get some idea of you know, how the expansion is going to work, You know which countries you'd like to see this in, you know, where you are at the moment, the type of facilities that you have, and, and generally you know, where you are along the path towards having this as a, as a wide-scale solution for storing energy. Sure. Thanks, Jonathan. A few questions there. I'll do my best to answer them all. Um, there are a few questions there, Stephen. Prompt me if I prompt me if uh, if I ha- haven't managed to answer all of them. So, um, uh, thank you. So, so I, th- I think probably the the important bit here is to talk a little bit about our first of all about our solution, and I quite like to think about it. You know, what if you stepped into an elevator with Bill Gates? You know, there he is, the, the, this person with his huge funds and wealth that is deploying vast amounts of capital in, in, into this market. You know, he he sees the both the opportunity, but the pressing need for the solutions to decarbonize the world. And so I get into a lift with Bill Gates and there he is. And I've got to tell him, I've maybe got 40 seconds um, to, to tell him about it. And so I go, you know, Bill, um, you know what we're doing is a long duration energy storage solution. It's based on traditional pumped hydro. So traditional pumped hydro, and I'm sure you would know this. Traditional pumped hydro is where you have a lake at the bottom of a mountain and then a lake at the top of a mountain. And when there's excess energy, water is pumped up the mountain, stored in the top reservoir. And then when energy becomes more scarce or more expensive, you release the the same water down the same pipes and you regenerate electricity through a turbine. 
it's a really old solution, been around for a hundred years or thereabouts, very mature supply chain, supply chain globally available. Um, but it has challenges, this traditional pumped hydro. You know, there aren't enough sites. You've got to abstract large amounts of water. Many countries are seeing increasing amounts of drought, and so water scarcity a problem. There's environmental and social issues around flooding valleys. But probably most importantly, and why we're not seeing them being developed to the degree that they could have been done, is the time it takes to consent. So get your planning permissions and other permits. Time it takes to consent and then construct the project. And those two things together are often measured in the best part of 20 years. And so if you're looking at a project today, it's not a solution for the climate emergency. You're really waiting till the mid-2040s before it even could come online. And we've got to do much more things much more rapidly than that. And so we're looking for a solution that is, you know, mature global supply chain like traditional pumped hydro. And this is where Reenergize steps in. So what we've done and our innovation is rather than using water, we've introduced an environmentally benign, high-density, low-viscosity fluid within a closed loop system, just like pumped hydro. So what that higher density fluid does is it increases the energy density, um, which enables us to lower the vertical elevation proportional to the increase in density. So our density is two and a half times that of water. So that's more than the density of concrete. So that means we can reduce the vertical elevation by 60%. So suddenly, rather than looking for mountains, we're looking for hills. And there are orders of magnitude more hills than there are mountains. And so this means that in somewhere like the UK, rather than finding maybe 10 or 15 sites for traditional pumped hydro, we think that for us, there are six and a half thousand sites. And then to give some sort of idea, how many of those sites do you need to deploy to make a meaningful difference to the energy transition in a country like the UK? And obviously, this can be repeated in Spain, France, Germany, California, Chile, you know, wherever you like. So how many projects do you need to do? And we think a, an average project might be 35 megawatts. Our range is 10 to 100 megawatts and then four to um, 16 hours of storage. But say a 35 megawatt project is average. If you build something like 300 or 350 projects, that gives you 10 gigawatts of energy storage. 10 gigawatts is around 25% of the UK's predicted energy storage demand. And so think we think we have a viable solution that can address 25% of the needs of a country like the UK. And other solutions will provide the, the other 20 the other 75% and that's fine. Um, because you know doing everything, you know, there's no technology that does can do everything. There are different use cases, as I said earlier. So so that's our ambition in somewhere like the UK. And then through a um, a model of partly developing our own projects in our domestic market, but more importantly, licensing to developers, both in our domestic market, but also in any country or region globally. So then we can deploy the projects at scale. That's what I'd say to Bill Gates. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you. Slightly longer than 40 seconds, but he'll, he would have he would have got the message there. Stephen, thank you very much. And there, there, there's a question that I have, um, and I think this, this is something that I'm sure people that are listening to this would, would have as well, because you mentioned their licensing. And, of course, people that are looking at re-energise and thinking about it as an investment going forward are, are going to be interested in the revenue generation side of things for re-energise 
as a business. So you mentioned their licensing, which does, does allude to that. But it would be good if you could provide some insight, please, Stephen, into your revenue generation model and how you're interacting with potential customers going forward. Yeah, um, good question. Thank you. So, so our, our revenue model has re- really four arms to it. Um, so the, the first one is a, an upfront license. Um, so as we engage with a, uh, well, I'm going to call them a property developer, but it could be a utility, it could be a financial investor. But as we engage with, with, with these developers, um, they wish to license our technology. So there's a, a, a progressive upfront license fee as we go through the permitting phases and then the construction phases. So it's a, it's a progressive license. And then um, once a project is built, there's an utilization license fee. So this is effectively for the use of our IP and our knowledge on how to uh, run a system that we ha- we have a um, an upfront free before it's operational, which creates part of the value stack, and then we have an operational license fee, which is a you know pound per cycle or. Um, uh, or, or pounds, dollars per cycle, um, or dollars per megawatt hour produced. So this is the license fee. The second element of the fees is really um, project management fees or consultancy fees. So as a project is being designed and then constructed, we make sure that the project is designed and built correctly, and that the where specific suppliers should be used for our high density hydro solution. Then we point to those suppliers, make sure that the right equipment is being provided to the project. So there's that consultancy piece. Then the um, fourth piece of this is the um, operation and maintenance fees. So um, we see on a system like ours, there are many skills out there in the world. So um, we wouldn't see to do all the operation and maintenance of a project. But where we're best placed to do so, which is really where machinery interacts with the fluid or the maintenance of the fluid itself, then that is where we um, uh, think that there's opportunities for operation and maintenance fees. So that's the sort of the, the, the broad overview of it. And then alongside that, we see that there are opportunities, as I said earlier, that we could be involved a part of this project development activities on our own. So we in our own domestic markets um, where we would end up owning part of the project itself as well. So that's broadly where we see our our revenues coming from. Things will also evolve over time. Um, You know, there may well be different uh, joint venture arrangements or market-specific arrangements, which means revenues can be captured in other ways. Thank you very much, Stephen. So in terms of the interest that you've you've got so far that it would be interesting I, I feel to hear a little bit about the the traction and conversations maybe that you're having you know of course these, these are big infrastructure uh, projects so you know I'm sure you can't allude to specific uh, projects or individual companies that you're working with but if you give some information about the types of people you, you did touch on it uh, in the in the last section but it'd be good if you'd be able to expand on that on on the types of companies that you're going to be working with hopefully working with going forward on this yeah and 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 i can drop a few names as well um so yeah very very pleased so so we tend to call it a project developer so someone who is or a company that is looking first to get the consents and then construct and then own and operate it now in the developer world or the, the 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 energy asset owners often those are different people but 
you know, in terms of who we're targeting, it, it, it's those groups of people who ultimately are involved in the development, the construction, and then the ownership of energy assets, um, or even the financing of it. So it could be a small regional developer who only does the consents and then sells it on to someone else to build, who then sells it on to someone else to own and operate it. Or it could be a state-owned utility at the other end of it who does the whole process. And so um, we do have memorandums of understanding with a UK developer, owner of gas peaking plants, um, Mercia Power Response. And um, we're, we're looking to, as they retire those gas peaking plants, find an alternative use for the connections they already own um, and uh, provide a different form of flexibility to the power grid. So that's in the UK. We've also got other conversations with other types of provider who have existing um, uh, connection agreements, both at the distribution level and the transmission level. And then um, elsewhere, um, so the MOU we have in Chile, um, which is just a fantastic market. They have so much of a need for a solution like ourselves. So we have um, an MOU with a Chilean utility called Colburn, um, so highly respected in Latin America and parts of the United States, um, an innovative, you know, forward-looking utility. And so that's looking for a uh, at developing a first-of-a-kind project in, in Chile. And the reason why Chile is such a fantastically attractive market is they've deployed so much solar energy that has forced the power prices to go zero or negative for nearly half the time the sun is shining over over the year and so the the owners of those projects are looking to create better value than zero for the energy that they're producing and they can do that by implementing an energy storage solution like ourselves and then chile is blessed with hills and and mountains but it's not blessed with water so they've had more than five years of drought so traditional hydropower pumped hydro is not really a solution for them going forward. But because we're a closed loop, we can manage evaporation. Suddenly, we're a solution for countries like Chile, which have got fantastic solar generation um, and uh, desperate need for energy storage so that their developers of their energy systems can uh, you know, capture value from their assets. Um, then um, what, what are we looking for? So, so um, and, and how big is the opportunity? So we, we currently have inquiries from over 30 countries. Um, could easily be more if we had a, a, a bigger commercial team. So we get inbound inquiries all the time. Um, uh, mo- most recently, we've been having them from uh, India, Japan, uh, Italy, um, uh, some Central European countries are coming in more recently for quite some time. Obviously, UK and Ireland, Chile, Australia, uh, parts of the United States, um, uh, Spain, Portugal. So, so you know, loads of con- countries. It's over thirty at the moment. Um, our pipeline, we're valuing it at over five hundred million pounds today. It's all quite an early stage pipeline, so you know it, it's a potential. But we have a very small team, and if we were looking harder, you know, it wouldn't be difficult to dramatically increase the size of that pipeline. Um, and then, where are we in terms of our commercial rollout? Um, so, what we're targeting is first for kind commercial projects to start construction in twenty twenty six. So where we are today in our technology roadmap, we are building this year a, uh, 
a demonstration project. So that demonstration project will have full functionality. It is a 500 kilowatt project, but it won't yet be fully optimized. So in the jargon of a, of innovation, it's called a, it will be a technology readiness level seven project. So this is a scale from beginning an idea at one to a commercial product at nine. So we're at seven, so we're well on that journey. Um, we'll be demonstrating full functionality, but we we have a certain amount of R and D still to do to get to that um, uh, fully commercial project. The, the our R and D roadmap is to do that out towards middle end twenty twenty five. Then on paper, be ready to uh, build a project early twenty twenty six, and in tandem to that, we'll be seeking planning consents. Um, make sure we've got the grid connection for the first projects, landowner agreements. Those are the things we'll be we'll be doing in tandem to that. Thank you, thank you very much. So, from what you've said there, Stephen, to me, it sounds as though you're well past the concept stage, and you have on the horizon commercial deals, which I think is going to be particularly exciting for investors. And this brings us on quite nicely to the last point that we're going to discuss. And we did allude to it at the beginning of the conversation that you're currently on Crowdcube, uh, set out with a target of around 300,000 for this particular round, met with very strong demand. That's currently in overfunding. I think the total raised amount now is well in excess of 400,000. So a lot of interest there. And I'm sure for people that are listening to, to this, Stephen, looking at the company and, and hearing the story and, and the path you have going forward, they're going to be interested to know why you're on Crowdcube now, what the funds are going to be used for, uh, and particularly you know, looking at those projects that you've mentioned there, how specifically it's going to be deployed to facilitate those. And there's a point that I've picked up here that you have a, a lead investor for this round so it'd be good if you could explain a little bit about that as well please Stephen. yeah sure so 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 the the crowdfunding round is sort of part of a a um, holistic approach to fundraising that we've been taking at the moment so um what what we've done first of all is we we have a lead investor which is called the low carbon innovation fund um so they uh, they led a round um, which is actually a convertible loan. Um, that round closed or first closed of that round just before Christmas, December the 22nd, that closed. That was £720,000. So in addition to Crowdcube, we are taking investments alongside that. So we're taking direct investments from high net worths and family offices in particular at the moment. Um, so we've already done that. Uh, 723,000 first close. We are looking at an uh, off crowd blue cube platform from two other investors of a further 750,000, which we're hoping to close late February, early March. Um, and then there's a whole series of other direct conversations that are going alongside that. So the crowdfunding piece will make up a you know percentage of what we're raising at the moment but it, it's only a percentage we're very much uh, our target is three million overall of across all these different channels and uh, the crowd cube will you know form 20 percent 25 percent of that total activity is what we're expecting over this over this period of time um really looking to to do a uh, second close um late february early march and then a Third close to, towards the end of March is our ambition for this crowdfunding rounds, 
crowdfunding round. It's probably worth um, also mentioning that to date, how successful we've been on obtaining non-dilutive capital. So to date, we've raised about uh, 2.7 million in total, but we have over 11 million pounds of non-dilutive grants and capital which have been awarded to the business. So that's a ratio of four to one non-dilutive capital to equity um, funding, you know, w w which you know we're incredibly proud of. And the, the obviously past, the past is not a prediction of the future, but we have been successful in raising non-dilutive capital. We have recently applied for further grant funding, EU funding, you know, got some great partnerships um, emerging from that. And uh, so you know, we're reasonably optimistic that because the past has shown that we are good at raising non-dilutive capital, that that will continue to be the case. Um, and, and then your last question was use of funds. What are we using the funds for? So um, it, it, it's probably worth mentioning source of funds. So source of funds is by far the majority, around three quarters, is non-dilutive capital, which is still available to the business um, over over the next over this year and going on into next year. We have a, a good amount of non-dilutive capital, and then we have a strong cash position at the moment, um, uh, which which is good. And then, as I said, raising this equity round, which will then give us a you know a significant runway far beyond the, the, the commissioning of the demonstration projects, which is then when we'd go back to the market, um, raise our Series A and convert this convertible loan, which is what we're raising for at the moment. The platform on Crowdcube, you know, it, it, it's not a convertible loan. It's an advanced subscription agreement. The terms are the same as the convertible loan, but because it's an EIS linked instrument, we, the, well, the terms aren't exactly, but the principle ones are the same. Um, the Crowdcube enables people who are a UK taxpayer to get a uh, the tax shield that EIS investments enables them to do. So that's the Crowdcube platform. And we can also take EIS direct investments should someone wish to do so. Um, and then the use of funds, uh, the, the last key things. So this is really a, about, um, we have a lot of non-dilutive capital, but it that provides money for specific projects or the, the project that is funded by those grants or the, those contracts. What we need, we need some capital for the business wrap around those grants. So, you know, financial functions, back office functions. And then we wish to extend our commercial traction. Our team is relatively small. We'd like to be doing more, getting into more detail with things. So expanding commercial traction. Uh, increasing our IP portfolio, we have two fully granted patents, a third filed, four in draft at the moment. Um, we have four trademarks, so but we want to extend that. We're doing an extensive amount of R&D. We've identified some areas of highly defensible patents um, that we, we wish to file. Um, and then the, the last part is um, doing the R&D for that fully commercial project um, so we're, we're ready to deploy late 2025, early 26, we could start constructing a uh, first of a kind commercial project of which there's significant interest in um, part funding those uh, first, second, third of a kind through um, uh, various sort of UK institutions or even Canadian institutions, part funding those, those first, second, third of a kind projects.
That's that's great. Thank you very much, Stephen. And and just as as a note to listeners, because Stephen has detailed there that you know yes, on CrowdCube at the moment that there, there is availability for investors, but of course this is part of a, of a bigger round. So people that are interested in in partaking, do check out the notes to this podcast because there'll be a link through to the Reenergize website where you'll be able to get in touch with the team there to discuss that further if you were interested in looking at the the larger uh, round as opposed to just the the CrowdCube round at this point in time. So Stephen, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's a it's a great format, great 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 questions. Thank you very much, and we're looking forward to coming back on. You know, hopefully when we've got our demonstration project running and we can talk about that, that would be uh, you know an interesting thing to do. It certainly certainly would be, and I'm sure listeners to this will be interested to hear how that goes. So certainly something we'll get lined up for the future. So Stephen, once more, thank you very much. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.